Well, before Easter, we had, uh, we had left off going through the book of Acts, and we had just accomplished uh, chapter 7. We brought, came, brought, got our way through that. Um, and where it stopped was a pretty harsh place. But also, we got to see a man as I hope we all want to one day, imitate our Lord in, in the things that we do, in how we go through life. We got, it, it ended with Stephen. And in the end, as Stephen was being stoned to death, he said, don't account this to them. Christ said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But we're introduced at this point from Acts and from the stoning of Stephen. We're introduced to two things. One, a young man by the name of Saul. And two, a point in time when the church is, is, gonna, is starting to be... Uh, forgive me. Persecution is, is arising and it's against the church. It's against this preaching of Jesus. As he, as he said, I am. That time, that world in, in that time uh, is fighting against it. Now, my question or I should say my statement, is, is that, as I said, I hope, and, I hope and desire to be able to say that I am looking to Christ to imitate him. Paul says that, imita that, that all should imitate him as he imitates Christ. Well, I want to imitate those. I want to imitate Christ. I want to imitate Paul. And so my question is, or statement, excuse me, is, is that this is what can, ha what can be done. What can be done with a surrendered soul? What can be accomplished by a surrendered soul. The power that is going to be expressed by a surrendered soul. Now chapter 8 starts off with, And Saul was there giving his approval to his death. Speaking of Stephen. And we're in chapter 8 of the book of Acts. And then it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from home house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. 
Now, persecution that was being delivered at this moment, you'd be home pondering, pondering the words that you might have just heard. And Paul, Saul, excuse me, went about and pulling men and women from their homes, thinking that he was doing what is righteous. Because as his understanding came about, it was blasphemous what was being said. And Saul of himself would say that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was one that, if it was written in the Word, and what they had was the Old Testament. If it was written, that was his behavior. That was his line of thought. And here we have someone that, is coming, that has come against that and has said, I am. I am what? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. I am. I am all that you will ever need. I am all that will completely satisfy you. And from Saul's point of view, this man was speaking blasphemy. And any that taught to follow after him were speaking blasphemy. And so he sought out to destroy the church. Now, persecution of the church can still be seen today around the world. Pastors are imprisoned. Churches are destroyed, physically destroyed. People that are found to be associated with that church can also be arrested. Causing them to go and to be dispersed and to go in secret just so that they can honor their God and praise the Lord Jesus. In America, there are some who have suffered persecution. There are some. There are some communities that have suffered persecution. But throughout the world, in China, in the southernmost part of Mexico, areas in Europe, they suffer such a persecution that goes to the level of a family. It goes to the very essence of what makes up the nation, the very people. All because they want to give glory to the Lord God. To the Lord Jesus Christ. In America, the majority of us don't go through anything that could be even considered persecution. We may be joked about. We may be laughed at. You know, people may get very active and or animated in 
how they refer to us or they point us out. But that's not persecution like these were suffering. And when it says here that they were scattered, it says a little bit further that uh, but Saul had begun going from there. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. Regardless of what drove him to be there, he didn't go there out of, he didn't run to this place out of fear. That was the farthest thing from his mind. He wanted to bring life. He wanted to bring grace, mercy by preaching the Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. That new covenant. He went to proclaim that good news regardless of what was coming behind him. It didn't matter. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. They gave attention to Philip. They heard what he said and the signs that were performed. Those signs that were performed were given as gifts Philip, in and of himself, couldn't do anything. Remember, our Lord, our very Lord, said, I can do nothing that the Father, that I haven't seen the Father do. So how much more would Philip say, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm just a guy who does the thing. But you know what? This guy has given himself so completely so absolutely over to the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, to his very being, that there was nothing that was going to stop him. And as he spoke, there would be nothing that come, could come against him. And so people took notice of that. They took notice of how, how he was speaking. It's said of others with an authority he was speaking. So they paid close attention to what he had said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city. I want to point something out to you. Nowhere in that, in that paragraph, nowhere did Philip say, I. Did Philip say, me. He wasn't drawing attention unto himself. What was in him, what was in, at work within him, was speaking out. To draw attention to the Christ. To our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And these miraculous signs that were accomplished were done in the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the power of the Spirit of God. Not by the power or spirit of Philip. <laughs> yeah. nowhere, did he, nowhere is it stated that he uh, you know, sat there and took credit for any of these things. He was merely a servant speaking of his master. You know, those two words kind of have a bad connotation these days. But contextually, in this time, Paul uses a really good description and says, I am a bondservant. Yes, servant, slave, yes. But by, by placing that one word, placing that determining word, bondservant. It was a servant that had come to love his master. So much so that there would be, there was nowhere else he wanted to be. That he would go up and have an, a, a, a piercing put into his ear to show that he loved his master and that he had made a choice to stay with that one. People can be fickle. We hear, and there's other proof of that throughout the scripture. And one is the day Christ presented himself on a donkey. Everybody was throwing down palms, throwing down their coats, singing Hosanna. And then that very same crucify him. Crucify him. Give us that murdering guy. Give us Barnabas. So people can be fickle. Why am I saying that? Well, because of the comparison I want to make to this next character, this next individual. And it says, Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. He boasted. He said of himself, I'm all that in a bag of chips, man. Come on. You got to come after me. I'm great. Where did we hear words like that before? Contextually, these people, they, you know, we're talking Samaria, you know. Eh, maybe some of them have heard about the Old Testament, some of them have not. But we have, a priv we have the privilege having to be able to look back and say, well, what did Nebuchadnezzar say? I built this great place. It's all in my power. It wasn't a good result for Nebuchadnezzar. 
I don't know what the result was in totality to Simon. But I know that there was hope. He said he boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention. Give him their attention. We just read that when the crowds heard Philip and saw, and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention. The same phrase. The same phrase. And they exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. Apparently they had bought into what he was, what he was selling. The thing about it is, it can sound good. It can sound right. But if it sounds like this, I, me, I'm the one. Philip didn't say that. He was proclaiming the one who really could say that. The only one that could say that. Simon was proclaiming himself. And the people had come to the place where they would be saying, this is the man, the divine power, known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. Again, another word that's kind of the same. Amazed the people. Amazed. But now they've heard Philip and this was Simon. Finally, the hearts of these people had been opened up. Those that were listening. And it states, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Because there was something different in the way Philip spoke. In your daily lives. In your daily lives. How you speak is being observed. How you speak is being listened to. When you're paying attention to what you're saying and when you are not paying attention to what you're saying, it is being listened to. It is being observed. Your very actions are also being observed. Do your actions match your words? 
Philip was preaching the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Simon was saying, <laughs> I'm somebody. I'm one to be listened to. But even Simon, like I said, and you know, I, do, I don't know the total outcome for Simon, but I do know there was hope. Because the very next statement, you know, Paul, uh, forgive me, but Paul, you know, he says, you're not changing your mind about what is being taught to you because of my convincing words. It is the very Spirit of God. It is the wisdom of God that is moving in your hearts that you might put your trust and belief in the one that came down from heaven, who was hung up on that cross. Simon himself believed and was baptized. What does the scripture say? If you believe in your heart, and proclaim with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. Does baptism in and of itself save you? No, it doesn't. We know that. We know that because of the criminal on the cross. We know that because we have the Old Testament. And David said, my son can't come back to me, but I can go with him. And what is spoken of David? By God himself, this is a man after my own heart. I don't know that I can aspire to that. To have someone say Man, there's a man after God's own heart. But at least to be counted worthy to step over the threshold. There's a song that says, A day in your house is better than a thousand elsewhere just to be in it anyway Simon himself believed and was baptized and he followed Philip everywhere everywhere astonished by the great signs and, and miracles he saw now because of how Philip presented the gospel. Apparently even Simon understood. Philip wasn't pointing his fingers to himself. He was saying, look to the cross. The sinless one was put to death so that we might be able to have communion with God our Father. 
And even that, even that ability to come and to believe that was given by the Spirit of God. But Simon followed Philip everywhere because he was amazed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. What could be done by one surrendered soul? An entire city could accept the word of God. Now in that time, we could simply be talking about a city. But in that time, things were more of a city-state. And so it might have been more than just Los Angeles. It might have been in Southern California. It could have been an entire area. What could be done by one surrendered soul? A city could be saved. That one surrendered soul. It didn't matter what would come upon him. He'd already, Philip had already observed examples of what he might suffer. Some of the apostles were imprisoned and beaten, flogged. And yet, upon their release, were singing praises for they had been found worthy to suffer disgrace. So Philip hadn't, he, he, know, he knew what he was in for. He knew, he had examples of those that went before him a little bit, who had suffered a great deal. Was Philip there when, when Stephen was stoned? I don't know. But he had an idea of what was going to happen, what could happen. And yet, that surrendered soul, because of that surrender of his very life, regardless of circumstance. Gave himself over and moved the city. Brought and they received the word of God. So the comparison that I want you to see 
and the words that I use to express that are counterfeits. Imposters. Simon came to know. But today, there are many that speak in their own name to build up their own kingdoms. To draw people unto themselves. And it sounds okay. It sounds okay. Paul said of the Berean people, said, be like them. Well, how were they? They took what was being said and they went home, not taking the word of the individual, but searching it out in what they had as the scriptures. And they had to go to the synagogue because not everybody had a scroll lying around to sit and search it out. There wasn't internet back then. They couldn't very well Google it to sit and say, well, all right, let's see. Uh, let's Google uh, salvation. Let's Google uh, persecution. And let's Google the good news. It's pretty cool that we can do that now. But they couldn't back then. They had very limited resources. So, and most of it was me telling you and you telling her and her telling that, that couple. And it went about that way. The early church gathered together in, home, in homes. And they shared. Was it always the absolute perfect presentation of the gospel? That depends on your interpretation of the perfect presentation of the gospel. A man born blind all his life. So who do you say this guy is? I don't know. But you know what? I was blind. And now I am not. Amen. <laughs> That's pretty good news. He didn't have all the other stuff to offer. This was a guy that was outside of the realm of hearing. Meaning he wasn't, he wasn't allowed to be in the synagogue. And yet, he was, I was blind and now I can see. That was pretty good news. 
power of God had, had moved. The Spirit of God had moved. So when they, when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. They were missing something. The Holy Spirit hadn't fallen upon them. They had received the Word. They believed the Word. But as I said, there wasn't any internet and they didn't have the, the whole totality of Scripture written. They were living the, 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 the part that we call the New Testament. And so we can look back and go, and we receive and is going... God has come, the, the, the Lord Jesus has come within me. I understand that by faith that God is a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Equal in every manner. And that upon believing, I get to receive that. There wasn't quite that understanding. There was a little bit, you know, even in the Old Testament, you know, David said, don't, don't, depart, don't let your spirit depart from me. Don't let your spirit depart from me. So there wasn't an absolute understanding, but they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They believed in the proclamation that Philip was putting forth that in him your sins are forgiven. By his blood you are washed clean. By his blood you are justified. Justified. Just as if you had never sinned. You are justified. But Peter, they came and prayed because the Spirit had not yet fallen. Now, is that the only way that can happen? Is there a formula for that? Is there a formula for the Spirit of God to fall? Sorry, there isn't. So there's no A, B, C, D that you can go through that's going to make sure you got all that stuff. We see that in the house of Cornelius, Peter was just proclaiming Christ. And it's recorded for us in the scriptures. He's in a he's he's at Cornelius' house. He's a Gentile. He, first of all, would have no idea what the Old Testament said because 
That's not what a Gentile does. You don't go out and read that. He's part of the, the Roman establishment. We're it. Everything else is a lie. Cornelius a Gentile upon hearing the words of Peter it is recorded for us that the spirit fell. I thought you had to be baptized. No, apparently not. Jesus himself with his disciples breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Spirit. And to my knowledge, I read the four Gospels just to make sure. I mean, I'm telling you, over this past week, I read the four Gospels. Nowhere does it say that the 12 apostles were baptized. Don't say it. They may have been. Because John the Baptist was doing his thing. And people were going to him in droves. But his baptism was a baptism of repentance. Preparing the way for the kingdom of God. Maybe the apostles had been baptized, maybe not. But Christ himself, it's recorded for us, breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit. Some got it because it fell, because they heard. It's recorded on the day of Pentecost. They were just in there praying. There isn't a, there isn't a speaking of baptism there. But the way the Spirit came down... It's said, it's said that, and it, it can be said that they were baptized. It was poured over them. And then they could be, and then they started to speak in, 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 tongue, in the languages of those that were there. And that was notated to us as being something miraculous because they all said, aren't these guys just Galileans? How did, I mean, the people that were there were there from the known world. And they all heard them, these disciples, speaking in their own native language. The glories of God, the miracles of God. So how does the Spirit fall? There isn't one way. But I can say this. It is by the will of the Spirit that the gift is given. Not by the will of man. Not by the action of man. But by the very purpose and will of the Spirit of God. So how is it that these, that Samaria, the city of Samaria or the city-state of Samaria accepted the word of God and had not experienced the Holy Spirit. 
Apparently they weren't ready up until they heard Philip going to it. And then they were ready. And upon the, the apostles in Jerusalem hearing, Wow, have you heard about Samaria? There is great joy in Samaria. Joy isn't something that can come about. It's not, it's not a, a feeling of happiness. It is a very existence. And the news of that joy made it all the way to Jerusalem. So they sent Peter. Wow. This is cool. It has truly come to pass. They believe. Wow, that, that, you know what? I can see they're missing something. And so they pray. But like I said, there is no one way that the, the Spirit of God will just fall. It's, it, it, we can look throughout the Scripture and it's rather random except for one fact. It was the will of the Spirit of God to be give, have this gift be given. And it is made manifest in different fashions. Some get to speak in languages they don't know. Others get to heal. Others have wisdom beyond what can possibly be held in our minds. But nonetheless made manifest by the will of the Spirit of God, not by the will of man, not by the action of man, not by the begging of man, but it is by the will of God. Paul tells us, hey, ask for the greater gifts. Well, didn't you just say that it doesn't come by the begging? No, it doesn't. If we believe and surrender, then within us comes an alignment. And when we pray, it isn't to satisfy our own desires. It is to sit and say, I adore you. And what you have for me is what I want. And if what you have for me is to be able in this moment to speak French, well, that would be really cool because I don't know what French is. You know, there's a couple of three words. There, that's one. <laughs> You know, I can say no in nine languages. <laughs> but that's the only word I can say in nine languages. But that's not the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is to be able to communicate with that individual in the language they understand. If it is to be given to me to be able to look into an individual's eyes and speak a word and they drop to their knees? 
then that's what it is. According to the will of the Spirit, Father in heaven, in what you have revealed, you have shown us what can be done by a surrendered soul, not looking to see how he could protect himself, but simply to bring glory unto your name. You've shown us to be wise and to be aware of counterfeits, of imposters. You also gave us a little thing for that one, this one, Simon. Maybe there's hope because it says he believed and was baptized. That even those who are trying to deceive, there is hope for them. And finally, the giving of your spirit by what you have shown me, what you carried me through to provide this word. It is only by the will of the Spirit of God that any gift is given. Not by the will of men and not by the action of men, but solely by your Spirit. In light of that, in us, Give us courage, strength to speak forth to your glory and let what is seen of us to line up with that. And when we fail, and we will, for we are but dirt, Help us to turn, to run back into your arms. Because you shall never turn us away. That by your own word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.